This season, we're sponsored by Conduit Studios. Marcel, how's the technology going for you? Uh, I don't know about you, Elise, but I am stressed out about tech on top of everything else in this fucking pandemic. Agreed. Conduit Studios is a production company that specializes in high-quality video and audio capture for creatives, run by musicians who understand your artistic needs. They offer high-quality, dynamic, multi-camera performance capture, which is perfect for concerts, auditions, live streams, and more. They are in an affordable and accessible way to elevate your digital presence. You can enjoy a low-stress, relaxed environment to record in so you can focus on your art, and they'll take care of the rest. Conduit Studios is based in Southern California, but they service many clients nationwide. Visit conduitstudiosmedia.com for more information or to schedule a session. Welcome to my so-called Opera Light, a podcast for opera singers by opera singers, where we work to connect, inform, empower, and inspire musicians at all levels and stages of their career. Each episode, we'll explore a piece of the never-ending puzzle of the so-called opera life, humble brags and therapeutic complaints, as well as practical information about how this business works. Each piece helping you on your journey towards success, which we believe should really mean happiness. happiness. I'm Marcel. And I'm Elise. And we're two sopranos trying to live our best so-called opera lives. Welcome back, everybody. Here we are. Yeah! Yay! I'm so happy <laughs> that... See you. Since you can't see my Zoom screen, you missed that I did a Kermit-esque, like, throw the arms in the air and shake your head <laughs> as I went yay. <laughs> because I am now a Muppet. <laughs> yeah, I'm very happy to see your face. Yours Zoom. too. On Zoom. Still um, on Zoom, fucking pandemic. I know. Well... We are back and we are so excited that we have another interview to share with you. Yes. I had a great time recording this interview. I did too. This was such a fun interview. Um, we are speaking today with Daniel Welch of The Beard and Lens uh, is his handle on all the socials. What is he going by on his website now, though? His moniker has changed. You'll hear, you'll hear all the different ways that he is part of the opera biz, but you can find him on the web at danielwelchmedia.com. He is also part of New Classical Artist Management, and he runs a, the podcast This Artistic Life, which was formerly known as Opera Biz Podcast. He's a brand strategist and marketing strategist for lots of different artists, especially in the classical realm. He loves opera and he's a photographer. So he does a lot of different stuff. Yeah. Talk about like multifaceted artist and someone with, you know, diverse income streams, which is something we've talked about on the podcast a, a lot. This was, I mean, he's such a warm, funny human being and super transparent with us about kind of like all the different ways that he pieces together his life as an artist. He was a singer. I don't think he's singing as much now these days, but we have a great conversation with him about how singers do brand themselves. So less, but less in the nitty gritty and more about the philosophy of that, which is cool. Right. Always yeah. my favorite kind of conversation. I know. I mean, I was really excited to reach out to him because all of the things that he has his hand in is really about helping singers, modernizing the classical music industry, using like, uh, you know, he's 
even though he loves classical music, he also has experience in other genres of music and other parts of the industry and of like marketing and branding for musicians. And he takes that experience and tries to help singers and opera com companies. He works for several opera companies too, doing their branding to really like just make it better, make it more accessible, but make it also just like that people can find it, I feel like, and that they yeah, understand like, what it is. <laughs> can we can we get it into the 21st century, please? And thank you. Right, right. Which I'm all about. Like, he's definitely an amazing out-of-the-box thinker and idea put in motioner. He doesn't just think about it. He, like, figures out how to do it. Yeah. I can't believe how many things he does. And he also figures out how to, like, travel and work and see all of these different companies around the country which is so cool i think yeah it was a great conversation and now that we've hyped him up we'll let him tell you who he is <laughs> here we go i'm glad that we could get together and thank you for joining us really excited to talk with you because we've never met but i see so many projects you're working on you do so <laughs> many things we actually discovered you together through the bearded lens where you did the project on helping singers figure out how to record at home and we shared, oh yeah 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 we shared that with our listeners awesome thank like, you in a blog yeah. post or something yeah like we that. had a we had a like at the beginning of the pandemic i, I like um here are resources to help you like figure all this out and yours was like our favorite like you made it so digestible like how do I get started with just my phone and that was exactly why I did that I had so many of my clients and friends being like what do I do now and mm -hmm. uh, rather than just telling people repeatedly I found it was easier just to <laughs> just to record a video do Send a blog post on it and just be like literally and that's that's what I started doing actually that's what, how I started doing most of my instructional videos or behind the scenes stuff to was because people want to know about it. And rather than telling each person individually, which takes so much time, it was easier to spend a couple hours doing the content and then just sharing a link. It's being like, here, check this out now. And this is easier. And I still, even now a, a year and almost a half later, I still send that link to people because it still applies. I'm sure. Right. Yeah, definitely. Right. So, I mean, I was just working with a friend the other day who hasn't made any recordings at all during covid and they, they they were like feeling ready now and they're like i don't know what to do so i was like i'll come be your camera person but we really only need your phone <laughs> yeah seriously like i did uh i helped tech a concert for chris maltman while he oh, was yeah. in france via instagram live because like that's how he was gonna do it and he he sent me a text message he's like dude can you uh hop on instagram and click on the live link so we can like sound check this for tomorrow because I don't know what I'm doing with just my phone. I was like, yeah, not a problem. And like they were in a church, he and Audrey were in a church doing stuff and it was super easy, but like you can yeah. get so much mileage out of literally just your phone. Like yeah. that tech right. is so far beyond anything we dealt with seven, eight years ago. It's, a, it's borderline creepy. Yeah. Right. Right. So let's back up for our listeners. We just jumped right in. Let's back <laughs> up, tell us who you are and what you kind of do in the, in the biz of opera and classical music. Yeah, so my name is Daniel Welch, and I've been known by several names in the industry over over time, including the beard and lens. The short answer is that I'm a media specialist and brand strategist with a focus on arts professionals and small business. That's like the one line. 
which everybody should have, by the way. Uh, <laughs> the long answer is a lot more confusing for a lot of people. Uh, as you guys are well, are well aware, and many of the listeners are going to be well aware, but a lot of people who work a steady career path don't always know that creators live in a very different mind space from individuals that either work in nine to five or, you know, that everybody's brains work differently. And a lot of creatives have simultaneously multiple occupations and not like side hustles. You know, we, we all have side hustles, sure. But there are a lot of creatives that have legitimately three or four distinct occupations simultaneously that are actual jobs, actual businesses. And I'm definitely one of those creatives. So <laughs> in the opera industry specifically, uh, you know, I, I consult with and I work with artists to determine and develop their authentic brand and business development. Because as a singer, you are absolutely a small business. The marketing tactics, PR moves, advertising concepts, everything that works for a small business that we do with small business and consulting, they all work for a professional artist because data is data. The numbers are the same and how we work with that is universal and advertising psychology, branding psychology is universal. It doesn't matter what the platform is. You could be an artist. You could be a beer bar. It doesn't matter. Those things all work the same. So I do a lot of that stuff and my clients, they either apply to work with me one-on-one -on -one and I work with singers who are everywhere from like literally undergrad to I have clients that sing on the Met stage on a regular basis. And they also work in institutional settings. So like I work with Minnesota Opera with the resident artists, Wolf Trap, Taos Opera Institute, and then some specific teacher studios and educational settings for like master classes and lectures and that kind of thing. So like that's one third of what I do. The middle third is I've been a commercial portrait photographer for about 12 years now. I started taking pictures when I was like 12 or 13 years old, but I started doing it professionally about 12 years ago. And I've done everything from promo work for artists to, you know, the in-house magazines for like Verizon and Sprint. And when I lived in Kansas City, if, if you drove through downtown KC, some of the wraps on like the Visit KC building and the PNL section, like a bunch of the wrapped pictures that are all around the buildings, like I actually shot those several years ago. And so done that kind of stuff. And then I love working with artists. So a fair amount of promo work. If you've seen anything that's come out of Wolf Trap in the last two seasons, I do all their photos, which is a lot of fun. It's crazy. I shot like 29 mini sessions in four days this season, which was mayhem, but awesome. And I absolutely love shooting portraits like that's fantastic. And then the other third, third prong of the uh, Daniel Welch fork, I guess, <laughs> would be um, just recently uh, at the end of 2020, I opened new classical artist management for opera singers, specifically in the opera field with Keith Chambers. And that started in November last year. Yeah. Okay, well, I I, nailed, oh. I got all the I got all those when I was researching and um, <laughs> and I have all those questions. Over here. <laughs> I go, what else are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> because that's clearly not enough. <laughs> you know, I, I, I used to be insist on having as many revenue streams as humanly possible. And a couple of years ago, I said, you know what, I I. We have this weird concept in America that if you're working 24 seven, like that's success. And, right, exactly. <laughs> um, and the, over the last couple of years, I've been really, really keen on basically educating both my clients, people that I meet, clients of mine, that free time and availability are not the same. You know, yeah. you have to have you have to have your own time. You have to have some downtime no matter what. So like even though I work really bizarre hours, I give myself really specific days off all the time. So like Wednesdays or Thursdays. I spend half the day at Carnegie Cigar Club and just like kick back with friends, smoke cigars, hang out like that's a legit day off. And then Sundays, I usually like do whatever. 
have to take the time off. Working 90 hours a week without giving my brain time to shut down just wasn't sustainable. Right. So I narrowed it down to three revenue streams. <laughs> and that works. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. I mean, and, and that's so important because like you can't pour from an empty cup. Like if no. you're to- going all the time, like your creative brain doesn't have time to think of new things. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Definitely. So, so how did you start out? Like how did, where did this all begin? Oh, diving into my past is. <laughs> I don't want to get there. I don't want to. It's crazy. It's not bad. It's just it's it's uh, it's confusing for for many people, often including myself. So I've always I've always lived a musician's life. I started playing piano at eight. In fact, my parents made me take piano lessons because I had taught myself for a year. And my mom's like, okay, you, like I went through the Alfred books, those like classic piano books yeah. i went through like the first three and my mom's like okay we're giving you piano lessons and i totally loved it and i picked up trumpet along the way guitar drums for a little while i've always sung always pursued some training in those things and but i worked in the contemporary music world for a really really long time so i was a session musician quite a bit cool. and i've worked all over the united states a little bit in canada in studios with some pretty significant producers writing for both myself and other people, as well as just playing on other people's albums and EPs. And that was great because I could, I could kind of just walk in, do what I do, hang out with people, have a good time and make money doing it, which was just a blast. But the contemporary music world is really, really fickle. It's very, very fickle. And so I said, okay, I'd rather write for other people, record for other people, produce that kind of thing while working on classical music, because while I have sort of, um, musical ADHD, I kind of like all of my musical preferences are on shuffle all the time. Opera is the one thing that never really left, that I was never cyclical, like it was always there in the background. So I actually have a bachelor's, master's and performer certificate as a Verdi baritone. So (laughs) yeah, so I I sang for a while and it was challenging because having a big voice in your 20s, especially 10, 12 years ago, was something that was a little harder to deal with. You know, I had audition after audition with the young artist programs. And I li- I can't tell you how many times I literally was told by some significant yet people that we would love to work with you, but you're louder than our entire cast. So <laughs> I don't know what to do with you. <laughs> I'm like, well, thanks, but that's yeah. not a job. And right. that's not, that's, that's not a performing opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, that was before I knew how to create opportunity, how to network the right way, how to build a support system as an artist. And I was doing media on the other side of things. So I was both recording audio and video and photography, and I was getting paid for that kind of stuff. That's what was paying my bills. So I just kind of pivoted into that direction. And I started to see, I started to juxtapose the classical world and the contemporary music world and Mm -hmm. saw the gaps that were in the classical music world and said, we've been doing this in rock and roll since the 60s why is opera so far behind this mentality? And the gatekeeping in the opera industry became really, really apparent as I got into that kind of thing. And, you know, there's there's so much that's shrouded about the opera industry. And so my goal was to say, screw it, and see if I could shed some light on how the industry works. And if I wasn't going to be singing, help other other people learn how to do that. So I'm a sucker for learning. Uh, I'm always, like, I'd be a professional student forever if I could. So I did my professional development in both visual storytelling and marketing and stuff at FIT, the Wharton School, basically anywhere that would teach me how to marry the platforms of modern business marketing, social media storytelling. 
as well as, like we said, marketing psychology uh, has been really, really key. And I tried to leave the opera industry four times, like straight <laughs> up, like walk away from it. <laughs> it's such a tight knit group of individuals that yeah. honestly, the opera world is afraid to leave the opera world because they're afraid they, they won't be understood. You know, you don't know what I do. What I do is super weird, super niche, super special. All those things. I've heard them all. Uh, and so I was continually getting hired just because I knew the opera world. And so I said, well, I love this industry. I guess I'm just going to embrace it wholeheartedly and just stay here, yeah. stay in this lane. And I just, yeah, it's definitely home for me. And I, that's great. I want to change a lot about it, but, but mm -hmm. I'm, I'm at a point now that I can change things from this side that I wouldn't be able to do if I was on stage. Yeah. Right. And that's one of the reasons I, I don't miss performing. I miss playing a character but I can have an influence over the industry now that I would never have from the stage. Yeah. I love sharing mm. these stories and like hearing from, from you. And it reminds me of like Justin Warner with Stratagem Artists. Like he started yeah. out as a singer too. And like, I always think when I think about like younger generations of singers coming up, like we need more people that like try different stuff and like still want to stay in opera even and hopefully what I hope in the future is that that means that you still can maybe perform as one of those forks, you know, yeah. and then you can also be really good at, at photography or digital marketing. And so I think it's great to share these stories because it gives listeners an opportunity to think about like they don't only have to be a starving singer only. Right. <laughs> well, and when you go through the conservatory setting, like the mindset is only that you're going to be a performer. Mm hmm. Being on the stage is such a small part of what this industry is. And there are so many other pieces that are happening behind the scenes that if you are in a performance degree are never discussed. But right. I've done literally every job that that you can do in a theater, every single one of them from right. literally cleaning bathrooms to being a stagehand to being a stage manager to a director to all the above, you know, yep. and, and a performer. And it gives me a really unique perspective for anybody that I work with that's in that's in the industry because right. I've I have at least at one point in time walked in their shoes and know right. what it know what it takes, know what it involves, and know what the pitfalls are and how we can and how we can get around those. Right. I, right. I problem solving is my day to day. And it's hard to problem solve if you don't have the right perspective or the right information. Right. Yeah. It it's making me think that honestly I've I've done the same route, Daniel, like done directing and stage managing and stuff. And like, I feel like all those skills have helped me to be a better producer for my own opportunities when I do oh, them, yeah. you know? And it's like, it's making me go like, why don't we do like med school? And like, even in a performance degree, you have to do a rotation. Like, oh, totally. Like you should, like everyone should know how to ASM and SM and direct. And, you know, like, even if you're like not trajectory going to do that, like you should get your feet wet and try it so that you you All should right, learn how to produce, learn how to work in a recording studio, especially now, like know right. what all that takes. Right. Right. It makes me a better performer too, you know, cause you're just like, I get why the stage manager is like pissed at everybody when they don't like stay behind the line. <laughs> Stop talking backstage. Yeah. <laughs> don't touch the props. <laughs> the props. That's what first went into my head. Don't eat in costume. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I worked with a, I, I assisted a costume mistress for a show one time years ago. And I was always one of those people that like ignored the don't eat in costumes thing oh. because you know, you live your life in a costume. Like you're not going to take off 
whatever jacket you're wearing in order to eat something until I had to clean somebody else's costume because they ate in it. And then that was the last time. And I was like, no, <laughs> from then on, I will never again eat any eat a costume or consume anything that's not a clear liquid. Like, <laughs> yep. 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 Definitely. Yep. So tell us about how the beard and lens has evolved. I know it's have what it's called now. I think that's fairly new because when I went to look, I was like, I yeah. don't recognize this. So now it's now it's ID Odyssey. The idea of taking something from an idea to a journey, an idea to an odyssey. Um, I like that. Yeah. And uh, basically that business is, it, it's a development of what the Beard and Lens was. I work with individuals who basically have a side hustle that they want to turn into a real business. And I do that. Or I work in the consulting aspect that I've previously discussed. Um, but the Beard and Lens kind of, it developed on its own. I'm a firm believer in authentic brands coming from within and then being from a natural place. And I developed the Beard and Lens literally as my Instagram handle. And because nouns that we know that associate easily with a person are easier to remember than a name, it picked up traction faster than I expected. But people used to refer to me as they're like, oh, that's the photographer with the beard, that guy. The, the big bearded dude with the tattoos, that's that guy. Or that dude who's always got the camera at concerts and stuff like that's the dude. So I just kind of put it together and it just sort of made sense. And then from there, like I said, I wanted to to help share aspects of the industry that people could assist themselves in, whether it's, you know, how to do a, a good audition recording or video, how to do stuff on your own phone. But also it was just it was an easy brand that was a, a good hook that just kind of fell into place. I mean, it was it was the perfect thing for content marketing. That's mm -hmm. the easiest way to put it. Yeah. Like. You guys have shared it. The amount of the amount of clicks that I get on those specific blog posts on my blog now are astronomically higher than my other ones. If you look at my analytics, because yeah. it was it was really easy to self-define and it just kind of took care of itself. So while I do less instructional stuff, unless something really specific comes up, like in the pandemic, doing stuff on your own phone, while I pull away from that a little bit and more, everything is now more tailored one on one. The idea still comes from that place. So ID Odyssey will be everything moving forward. And I've got a little bit of a team behind me there, which is nice. It makes it a little bit easier. I have an application process for, for working with me if people want to work one-on-one. -on -one. But the Beard and Lens title, I can't really get rid of. So <laughs> that, that will be my Instagram handle until the day I die, most yeah. likely. <laughs> yeah. You just, yeah, you, it sticks. Yeah. Yeah. And I, is I, the uh, just application process for audience and also maybe for a friend, aka me? Is that on your website? <laughs> it is. It is on my website. If you go to idodyssey.com and you guys can can link it in the notes, there's a button that says, you know, apply to work with. And cool. basically the reason I do the apply for is first off, I get I get contacted all the time by people that want to work with a consultant but don't know what that entails, what they actually okay. need, and aren't willing to actually give me enough information to help get them started. And so having an application tells me everything I need to know about them, how long they've been working on what they're working on, what their goals are. Like it's it's a one page app, but it gives me all the answers that I need that I've developed over right. the years that there are questions I ask either way. And frankly, if somebody's not willing to fill out that application, they're not going to be willing to put in the time to follow through on the stuff that I recommend anyway. Right. Uh, right. The thing I love about being a consultant is I like my 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 superpower as a consultant is being able to look at the, the detailed three foot view and bouncing back to the 30,000 foot view and being able to go back and forth, which means mm. that I see intersections. I see professional intersections where I can build networks for people, but being consultant means I tell them what I recommend and then they have to follow through. 
So if they're not willing to fill out a one page app, they're not going to be willing to do any of the other stuff that I asked them to do that's going to help them. And that tells me, well, we just won't yeah. click. Right, so right. that is a that is a beautiful example of working smart and not working hard. Yeah. Like I had two more years of doing it the other way. Yeah, no, that's that's genius. And uh, I will be filling that out. Nice. <laughs> I look forward to reading that. <laughs> so tell us about the management company, New Classical Artist Management yeah. with Keith Chambers. That was so exciting when that came out. I was so happy to see you teaming up with Keith and I'm excited to hear like more about it. Keith and yeah. I have known each other for years and we've we've worked on projects together. He we've sent each other clients back and forth for literally years. He's played for countless videos that I, I don't do video auditions for singers anymore, but when I used to do them, we would send each other clients a lot and he played for just a massive amount of videos that I I recorded and you know, I started getting requests from friends to manage their careers probably honestly, about three years ago, because I was writing PR scripts for people, networking emails, giving them information on who was hiring, what the pay was, what the pay scale should be. I was negotiating contracts unofficially. You know, I was looking at a lot of people's stuff. And these go from like regional houses to literally a couple of met contracts that I saw that I literally signed NDAs for. It was like, can you look at this? But you need to tell me that you're not going to tell anybody else. I'm like, yeah, it's totally fine. And enough people were asking me to do that. that I was like, oh, maybe I should actually just open a management company. But I felt that without proper training and doing it, no experience officially in the field that I would be doing my clients a disservice, a roster a disservice. So I actually started working with Gloria Parker at Insignia Artists and worked with Gloria for about a year. That it, it taught me a few things that were really key about the industry, but it also told me that you can absolutely do this on your own. And I was farther along in the prep than I thought I was. And now Gloria, I love Gloria. She's She's great. She's got a lot of integrity, which is often hard to find in management in show business. I love the way she works with her clients, but she and I just didn't really click. And so long-term with Insignia just didn't work. So I left that. And after a little while, I said, I miss specifically doing that. I miss sitting in the room for auditions, repping the singer. I miss being able to give them professional direction that I can tangibly see the immediate result of. I miss negotiating, like officially negotiating contracts, you know? So, I had heard that Keith was interested in managing while talking to Kirsten Chambers, actually. And she and I were on the phone and Keith in the background, he's, I hear him go, hey, uh, I want to manage artists. And I was like, what did Keith say? And she goes, Keith says he wants to manage artists. And I was like, hang on, Keith and I need to have a conversation. So we sat down <laughs> and we sat down like two days later for coffee. And that coffee was like two hours long. And we realized that we were exactly in the same spot. We had very, very similar goals. And so we said, you know, why don't we, why don't we do this? Put some money together, actually open a shop for ourselves. And it turned out we fell into step perfectly. You know, we complement each other in phenomenal ways as a business pair. The connections I don't have, Keith has, Keith mm. has, and and vice versa. And he knows rep like none other. I mean, being an opera coach, being a conductor, having his own company, he knows all the rep that I don't know. And he yeah. pulls stuff out of nowhere. I'm like, man, that's genius. Yeah. Uh, so he works on the musical development um, side of our artists, working with our roster, finding their ideal audition rep, what they should be singing right now, um, and and weighs in. He also plays for for some stuff when necessary, and of course shares some of the admin duties. And then I work on the marketing and business development side of our artists, as well as doing some of the back end for the website and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So it complements 
perfectly. It also means that this is the one industry where you're kind of, or aspect of my industry in which I'm kind of on call 24 seven, because sometimes there are things that are really um, time sensitive. Everything else right. I've, I've found how I can push it back and be like, no, I'll do that tomorrow and not answer emails at two o'clock in the morning. No. But artist management means that I answer my phone even if I'm on the road or out of office or anything like that. If one of us is truly off grid, like on a plane or something, at least we have the other one there. And so working in a pair makes it so much easier than trying to do it myself. And I look at how much work would be involved if I did it myself. And I'm just constantly ecstatic that I have Keith there and we bounce everything off of each other. So everything is a 50, 50 concept split. So, you know, we don't on onboard anybody unless we both agree about it. Our workflow we've determined through the way we work together. It's, it's truly collaborative, which I'm always ecstatic about. And I'm really excited to see kind of where the roster goes. We have now, we just recently signed a couple more people. So we're going to max out at like that 12 to 15 mark. But right now we've got six and we're really picky because we want to actually want to work for and with the artists that are on our roster. And we want to completely believe in what they're doing as well as their potential. And we also kind of like the underdog. You know, we've got a couple of people on our roster that we feel the industry hasn't taken seriously enough. And we're like, we think we can change that. So we're going to try and make that happen. And that's awesome. why we're capping out at like a dozen or so. Because with the fact that we both do other things means we don't want a roster of 50 people that we can't keep up with. Yeah, you know, right. we would rather have a dozen people that we can actively work for on a day to day basis, know what they're singing, care about what they're doing, know what gigs they're doing, and then actually show up to auditions. So we want, to, we want to scale at a realistic level. Yeah, it would have been easy to onboard 50 people right off the bat. But also, we don't want to charge retainers. We don't want to be that that company either. So right. Right. we're yeah. trying to do it the way that makes sense to us. Yeah, right. We are glad to have the Sparkle Twins back as sponsors for season three. Sharice and Sharicia Williams are identical twin sopranos from Brooklyn, New York. Their business offers mouth masks to protect you from unwanted germs and conversations with cute phrases like, yes, I am an opera singer. And no, I will not sing for you. Check out their shop at www.sopranotwins.com shop. I think it's great. I think it's great to talk with the companies that are coming up i feel like there's more smaller companies coming up management companies like the boutique or, or whatever they're calling it now yeah and i think they're great for singers and they're good for the they're really good for the industry just overall i think the old model of artist management in the u.s particularly in the opera industry is is kind of fading away because it was uh, i always look at it in, in the, the parallel that i use is like real estate agents in new york city so mm -hmm. there was a time where they were truly the gatekeepers to every good property that was in the city. And if you didn't have a good agent, you didn't know what was out there. You didn't know it was available and you, you weren't going to get okayed for anything that you were looking for. And artist management used to be that way, but it had nothing to do with the actual business aspect of things. It didn't have to do with building them as a brand and building them as a known individual until they kind of fell ass backwards into that, you know? And when all of a sudden they were famous, they're like, okay, now we've got something to work with. Mm -hmm. As opposed to, and also conversation. I talked to somebody the other day. I was like, you know, what's your management talking about right now with everything that's going on? They're like, oh, I haven't talked to them since January, 2020. What? Yeah. Blew my mind. Yeah, I was like, yeah. I'm in text conversations with my roster all the time. And there are six of them. Like, I, I mean, wow. I think that really truly is the majority of people in a management company in this industry right now blows my mind 
It just is. And we, you know, our timing, some people look at it as really terrible timing to open an artist management firm in the middle of an industry that's totally shut down. But we wanted to have the conversations about how the industry was changing. We didn't want to play catch up. We wanted to be either integral or at least a part of the conversations of this is what we're doing now. This is how things are moving forward. This is what we're doing when it comes to auditions when we can't come to the city, all that kind of stuff. We wanted to know what people's schedules were like. I mean, you look at a whole bunch of companies on the West Coast that randomly decided in July to do their casting. Like how far outside of the normal box are we going here? Right. Pretty substantially all over the industry. And we didn't want right. to have to figure that out a season late. Yeah. You know? Right. So we're like, we want to be a part of that conversation now, even though it'll take a while to scale. Doesn't matter. Like we want to be in that combo right now. Yeah. Wow. Hmm. This is something not exactly a smooth segue here, but I, I wanted to ask you about it. It's court, sort of related to, you know, marketing for singers. And one of the things I remember, one of the content videos I remember you putting out was this video. And I can't remember what, if, if it was on the new classical artist management site or where it was, but you talked about social media marketing for singers and how it's really important. And like all singers should be trying to grow their social media. Do you remember this video? Kind of, or is there I mean, more I, than I, one video? I, I, I would say it's probably more than one video, and I also teach it in classes, so. Yeah. yeah. Um, so not exactly the smooth transition, but I'm sure it's related to how you, you know, look, look at who you're going to take on and, you know, social media for opera singers for some reason. It's getting better now, and it's a conversation we have a lot on the podcast. Like, people are, young singers are very afraid to post anything. They're, like, afraid to put anything out in the world. They're afraid to launch their website. This like persists and we constantly have this conversation of like, just what are you waiting on? Yeah. So I wanted to kind of hear all your thoughts about that. I think a lot of the perspective, and, and I hear this also from my clients too, is that they want everything to be perfect when they walk out the door. You Bingo. Know, the, and, and that's problematic <laughs> because you're constantly, you're growing as an artist all the time. You know, what you sound like now is not going to be like what you sound like three years from now. Probably not anyway. I would be shocked if you did. And so they say, well, I want to get to this particular point before I post anything. And the, the reason that that's so problematic is then there's nothing to track. There's no story to tell. It's just, bam, I've arrived. Mm. I, don't, I don't want that. You know, when I talk to people about, about posting on social media, you know, when I look for what I look for in my roster is not that they have a large following, but they have something distinct to say, or they are somebody really specific that there's something really unique about their identity and how they are perceived by people. Because I, you know, frankly, my hands are tattooed. Like I'm not, I'm not looking for the cookie cutter ideal American singer that, you know, is constantly pushed through yaps all the time. I'm looking for somebody that's polarizing or at least somebody that has a really strong presence. And, uh, so and clearly you want a purple haired soprano. <laughs> hey, I, I, I love, I love that. So long as you can maintain the correct branding, I'm all about, you know, the, the wild hair, the personal style that's really unique, the tattoos. You know, I always tell people when they, I, I, I hear probably 300, 400 singers a year because I sit on audition panels for other people. Right. And, what I always tell my classes when I teach them is that like there's a distinct difference between repped artists that walk in the room and academic artists that are that are like in grad school that walk in the room because the repped artists have they've gone through the discussion of this is who I am. This is who I can be. And mm. I don't need to play any games. And they just walk in, do what they do, do it well and walk out of the room. 
everybody else is like, okay, so we're going to do the jewel tone wrap dress. We got the nude heels. I mean, there are specific reasons why those things came about, but it has now made everybody really, really cookie cutter. I want mm -hmm. unique. Also, the unique stands out in the room in the auditions. Also, the unique stands out in social media. So mm -hmm. when, when I do a social media marketing for singers, what I want is a unique story to tell. And I want a long story to tell. So one of the things that I literally discuss is long form digital storytelling. So, mm. so the easiest way to put this is like, say you get a new role, you get cast, you see that standard post that everybody does. They take their score to a coffee shop and they show a picture of their cappuccino and the score. Real standard. <laughs> I don't have a problem with that post so long as it is followed up by the 150 posts that it should follow up between the, the, when you looked at the score and when you perform. Because if the next thing that you post about that score is dress rehearsals, you have cut out 80% of your career. Hmm. You've lost 80% of the content that you can talk about that. I mean, I remember the first time that I looked at Onyegin and I had never done anything in a Cyrillic alphabet before. And I was like, what am I looking at here? This is absurd. I should, if, if social media had been a big thing at the time, I would have discussed the challenges of working in a different alphabet. Like I can deal with Latin-based languages, Germanic languages, that's fine. But an alphabet that's different than what I grew up learning is it totally changes the way I read anything at all. Then, you know, much less trying to look at Hebrew or Arabic and now yep. you're changing directions of reading and all that kind of stuff. But the concept behind the fact that we sing in multiple languages that we don't actually speak conversationally blows the mind of the rest of the world. So the story mm -hmm. I love to tell is I was in Rotorua, New Zealand, the North Island of New Zealand, and I was at a hostel one night and I'm sitting there smoking a cigar, drinking some whiskey, and it's a hostel. So like everybody accumulates at the end of the night, kind of all in the communal space. And I was the only American at the table and we had a whole bunch of, of people from all around the world, literally every continent, but Antarctica was represented. And one of the people asked me what I do. And at the time I was singing a lot and I was like, I'm an opera singer. And they're like, oh, so like you sing in other languages and stuff. And I said, yeah. And like, well, what do you, what do you sing in? And I rattled off like the big four or five. And they're like, oh, so you speak all those languages. I was like, oh no, 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 absolutely not. Like, how do you <laughs> sing in a language that you don't know? And we discussed the concept of learning languages phonetically, which totally screwed with everybody's head. And so they started giving me things to say in their native languages. And it became a drinking game. And we just started going around the table, speaking in other people's languages, doing it simply phonetically, which was hilarious because we all told each other to say things that were terrible, <laughs> you know, <just laughs> ludicrous stuff that you would never really say in public or, uh, you I know. love it. and it oh was a blast, gosh. but like, that's the kind of thing that if you're looking at building a follower base or an emotional connection to what you do, that's the kind of stuff you talk about. That's mm -hmm. the, you know, if you're, if you're dealing with Russian for the first time, you discuss the, the challenges of working on a language that is brand new to you that you don't actually speak. And when you talk about the challenges, you talk about the successes. You don't do one without the other. You always do them mm -hmm. back to back. Mm -hmm. But learning, learning a new role is so much content from beginning to end that if you can get the audience paying attention to that and they get really attached to that, they can't not want to see the performance at the end. Right. They're going to be so wrapped up in this whole story that you've told that they're like, well, now I have to see the performance. Like, I don't, I don't even care about opera, but like, I have to see how this goes. I have to see what this does. I have to see the end product, at least something. And that's long, that's long form digital storytelling. And that's what I want to see on social media from singers. And there are a lot of cues that go in that they tell other industry professionals that you're working. 
what you're working on, what your workflow is like, who else you're working with. It's proof of concept on so much of your career. I couldn't care less if you got famous from it, but it's a reference point for people that want to hire you. It's a reference point for people that don't know what the industry is like. It's also a reference point for every singer coming up behind you that doesn't know what the industry is like. You know, we, I know we'll talk about the podcast, but that's part of the reason I started the Opera Biz podcast was this is one of those weird industries where so much is in the dark. It doesn't make sense to me. So like if you're point A and you want to get to point X, you, so if, if the goal is like singing at the Met, I mean, every opera singer is like, I want to sing at the Metropolitan Opera. Yeah, That's but none of us goal. know how to get there. You have no idea how to get Not only do you not know how to get there, you don't even know what steps there are in between right. to get there. Also, the fact that tier one houses cast differently from everybody else. So everything mm. that you learned about casting doesn't apply to those companies. And then you have to learn what applies to casting to all the other companies in order to get there, what the pay scales are like, what rehearsal schedules are like. You know, one of, one of our roster members who's a good friend of mine was covering in Marnie at the Met. And, you know, they had like seven rehearsals. The covers had seven cover rehearsals for that. That score is insane. So, so much of their work had to be prepped on their own or with their coaches. And then there was minimal amount of rehearsals. There were minimal amount of performances as well. And I told somebody that who just recently picked up a cover, a cover contract at a different house. And they were shocked by how little actual rehearsal time they might have. And I was like, this is the way some, some houses do it. And they're like, oh, I, I really need to prep. I was like, yes. As a cover artist, you absolutely need to prep without I mean, question. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, my very first cover contract that I had, we had no even like walkthrough as the covers. Like yeah. we had to be ready to go on stage and with and no run with the rehearsal or the conductor. Like that's, that's where it. the real pressure is. <laughs> yep. Yep. And it was like, please, is. God, don't. Everyone who's like, oh, yeah, the covers are like, you know, are they secretly plotting against the stars? I'm like, I was praying to God. Like, <laughs> nothing like, happened. Please, to please let me take my paycheck covering. and I could just stay 10 minutes away from the opera house and never go near it right now. <laughs> I was like, I was I was ready to go. I had done my work, but I was like, so much could go wrong because I've never yeah, actually like can never really truly done this with anyone else. If you yeah. never get to run it. <laughs> this is uh, that's one of the things I love about live theater, though is just you never know what's going to happen on stage off stage prep wise like you just never know right. and right it's also why you, people always get they get annoyed by the fact that houses cast people that have done the role before and every time that i get a young artist at a, a young artist program that's like i hate this idea like how do i get my experience yada yada, yada. it's like well there's a reason behind this because at certain levels of companies Sometimes you have to call people in as a ringer really last minute. So like my um, one of my dear friends, Serena Malfi, was singing in Italy and she was singing with Rosina. She had zero walkthrough time, no rehearsal at all. She was called last minute because somebody dropped out. The cover wasn't ready. And so she had to go on. Her first time on the stage was her first entrance for the show. Like, right. That was it. Right. So she's like running around asking the stagehands, like, where do I go in here? The stage manager was was giving her directions for her first performance because she had never done it before right if you have to think about the music and learning the music and what the role entails and prepping all that stuff yeah, you, can't. you can't do the other part you can't like you just you can't. can't do the other part mm -mm. so it makes no sense way. the way they cast that you know right especially right. in certain houses where they know things like that happen we're, we're going to go with somebody that has already sung this role before definitely right yeah. right right 
So your podcast was Opera Biz. Now it's the artistic life. So and... this is a this is an interesting teaching moment. Yeah. In general, because I'm going back to the Opera Biz. Oh. So I never got rid of it. I left it there parallel the whole time. So during the pandemic, I that, sorry. Let me just. Does that mean yeah. that you had two feeds? Mm hmm. And they were yeah, they're two RSS feeds. feeds that are totally separate. So like, I literally, if you okay. log into my back my back end on the platform, which is Fireside you'll see like when you log in as me, you see two podcasts. Okay. And okay. so they exist simultaneously. Nice. Yeah. And I, I originally did that because I was like, I don't know where this is going to go. And then I honestly forgot about it, even though I was paying for it every month. <laughs> and then I was like, you know what, let me just leave it there because this artistic life is not panning out the way I thought it was going to. So I was working with artist relief tree during the pandemic and I had, because we were doing so many things that were cross-platform artistically. I was like, you know, this is a time where the arts across the across the board in the United States just got flipped off, just like somebody hit a switch. Mm -hmm. And I said, this is a time where the arts in general need a, a single voice to remind people that while there are subcategories of the arts, the arts as a whole is a thing and it's a multi-billion dollar industry across the United States. It's a multi-billion dollar industry in New York City. Like, but across the United States, this is like there are there are millions of people that work in the arts who need to be paid attention to. So the idea was that I would start accessing those individuals and change around consistently what medium the artists that I had on worked in. And it's funny because I will tell my clients day in and day out that niche sells, be niche, be real specific, be real small. And I just didn't listen to my own advice. And the idea I think is great, but the, the actuality of having a podcast that covers the arts in general without having basically a known platform or a PR team. Like if I was on NPR, I'd be able to pull that kind of thing off. But starting it from scratch, I didn't have the bandwidth to do it the right way. Yeah. And I was like, you know, the niche, the niche for the opera biz worked. I mean, 35,000 downloads in two seasons was screaming in my face, go back to opera biz. So, and again, I started the opera biz podcast to talk about the different tiers of the industry about the different rungs what the different roles were like in the business and so as of next week actually i'm kicking off season three of the opera biz podcast and some of the guests that i had on for this artistic life i'm actually going to carry back over so like i've got a phenomenal interview with uh leanne mislaski who i mean this woman has sat through like ten thousand auditions in her day that one's going to go back up to the opera biz podcast iris schiff jenny moser I have to see if I if I still have it. If I still have it, it'll be the first episode. But right before the pandemic hit, I did a recording. I did a podcast episode with Quinn Kelsey, and we were literally mm -hmm. backstage in in his dressing room at the Met while he was prepping to go on as Germain. We're literally like sitting in the back eating McDonald's cheeseburgers in his dressing room because Germain goes on late, so he had a late call. But that was the beginning of March 2020, and wow. I was planning on releasing it three weeks later. Two weeks later, everything was shut down. So mm. that one's still kicking around. I think it's still on one of my mic packs somewhere. And if I have it, that's going to be the first episode. But I want to go back awesome. to that. And I'm going to get really, really specific with topics this time around. So I'm changing the format a little bit. But this upcoming season is going to be a blast. You know, I've been talking to Kelly Kuo from ALT and Isabel Leonard, Jamie Barton, um, awesome. Morris Robinson. It's going to be a blast. I love communicating with Morris Robinson, dude, when you listen to this. I'm going to tell you that I appreciate the way you send voice memos. I just want to hear that dude talk for like hours. 
he sends me voice memos on Instagram and it's just the most <laughs> awesome thing ever. I'm sitting in my living room and I get a voice memo from him on Instagram Messenger and my girlfriend is sitting across the room is like, is that is that Morris Robinson? <laughs> yeah, who else sounds like this? No one. Morris right? is the man. Like, so help me God. So I'm actually looking forward to that, but this is the first time I'm actually going to have a team. So now I've got somebody to do social media. I've got a producer that's going to be working with me. So it's going to be a blast because again, the, the niche makes sense. Niche that's sells, great. You know? That's exciting to hear. Honestly, I was, I was wondering why you, I mean, you can like make a guess as to why you make a change, but it's really nice to hear that niche is good and opera is, is, is making the downloads happen. That's great. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, no, there's a massive drop off. Like, <laughs> Three seasons into this podcast, we know it. Right? I know, I know. But I never good. expected to go beyond a single season. Like, I didn't expect to have that many people paying attention to it at all. But I had people coming up to me and being like, what happened to the Opera Biz podcast? Where's that, where's that going? Is that coming back? And I'm like, oh, it's mm-hmm. over here now. And it just, it was too confusing and it was too broad. And, you know, I, not all my ideas can be gold, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, Sometimes, it's like that Ira Glass quote about how you're going to make tons of bad art before you make good art <laughs> yep and you know and over the years i learned to be able to say out loud in public i was wrong <laughs> i usually try to only awesome. say that when i know how to fix it but you know there's still times yeah, yeah. awesome <laughs> amazing oh my god okay so for our followers where are all the places that they can find you <laughs> So uh, the easiest ways to find me are largely going to be Instagram and, and my website. So the consulting website, all that kind of stuff is ideodyssey.com. For photography, specifically for photography, danielwelchmedia.com. My Instagram handle that I still am going to rock and roll forever is the beard and lens. And uh, I'm also on Facebook too. Uh, I don't use Facebook as much. I wander onto TikTok a little bit, but I don't produce a whole lot yet, but I've got some stuff I'm scripting for it. But all my social media handles are going to be the beard end lens. That's the easiest way. My in my Facebook is like totally and completely public. And I add people all the time. So people can help me down by my name there. That's totally cool too. But those are the uh, those are the easiest spots. And then the Opera Biz podcast is operabiz.com. Awesome. And we will link all of that in the show notes. Awesome. And cool. I, I do want to ask two more questions that I have to have to know. Sure. From you. What excites you about the way the opera industry is headed? What excites you about opera right now? Uh, you know, honestly, the, the pandemic was the two by four to the head that, that opera needed uh, in general. It forced us to modernize. Mm-hmm. I've been pushing for remote auditions for five years, legitimately five years. An average company runs around the country and spends thirty to $50,000 running their admins all over the country to host, host auditions. Why not cut down on application fees, make it so it's a more standardized, universal way of doing things? And I don't know a single opera admin or casting director on the face of the planet who doesn't know via recording in the first 10 seconds whether or not they want to hear somebody live. Right. Do the initial ones, video, audio, and then do callbacks live and in person. You know, that for me is the biggest is the biggest thing that I think is going to move forward that I'm, I'm a huge proponent of and have wanted to do for a really long time. Um, in fact, for Wolf Trap last year, the way they did their, their artist screening for management, I helped them rig, virtually helped them rig up their, their audio tracks. So they did all their hearings live because they have managers that go out and hear everybody sing every year. And they did it all live in the barns. So 
everybody yeah. hopped onto a YouTube feed that was that was invite only. And then we heard everybody live that way and chatted in the chat. And it was fantastic. And there was no reason for 70 people to travel there. It also meant that more people could get out there. Right. Coachings and lessons are fantastic via Zoom if you understand the equipment the right way. But my the biggest thing for me is honestly, I hate using the term social media because there's a certain stigma that comes from it. But that's just that's media in general now. Like it's not a fad. It's not a little thing. It's not for anybody specific. It's for everybody. And it's the way we communicate now. And social media has given singers a leverage that they've never had before mm -hmm. and a transparency in the industry that has not existed prior. And I think that's awesome because now anybody who understands how to network the right way and understands a little bit of tech can go beyond what they were taught in conservatory and actually build a career. Because yes. I, mm -hmm. my line always is in conservatory, we were taught 60% of how to have a career. There's a whopping 40% out there that wasn't discussed. Mm -hmm. And that ends up, you end up having thousands of bitter singers who say that the industry screwed them over. My school screwed them over. And while that's partially true, there are a lot of people that don't want to follow up and do the other 40%. Yeah. Right. And if you do that other 40%, there are some parts of the career that are now inevitable mm -hmm. because you can create opportunity from thin air and you couldn't do that before. So like the right. leverage and the transparency now is amazing. And I, I will forever applaud the use of social media in that way from companies to singers to, you know, get the truth out there. That's great. awesome. I love that. Can't wait for the young singers to be hearing mm -hmm. that. Hello. Yeah. We're back. <laughs> And my last question is just why opera? I love this question. It's, it's the hardest question. <laughs> it's, it's really not. It's a, it's a culmination of, of the full performance experience. You know, there's nothing, there's nothing that sounds like opera live. There's nothing that feels like opera live. The easiest way to, to discuss the experience of, of opera and why it has just like completely and totally hooked me is I was in was this three seasons ago at the Met? It was the Figaro that starts with the curtains open and the big rotating stage. Mm. And the girl that was sitting next to me was probably 17 or 18 years old. And she was with somebody else who was from one of the bigger conservatories in the city. And the friend had gotten student tickets and brought her with her. And she had no idea what she was in for, like none whatsoever. She's sitting close. I mean, you're sitting in a theater. You can see what people are typing on their phone. And she's like on her phone, Snapchatting a friend of hers. And she was talking about how you know, what she was doing. And she's like, I don't know what I'm here. Some Figaro something and at the Met Opera. And I don't know what that is. And I don't know. I feel like I'm gonna be super bored. But she took a picture of the stage because you can see it before everything happens. And that started a conversation. And so she started a group conversation with a bunch of people and they were texting, snap texting back and forth and sending pictures back and forth. And she's taking pictures of the house. And then the overture started. And the look on her face was phenomenal she was in complete and total awe sitting in a theater hearing a symphony live is one thing and then when you add the operatic voice to it blew my it just it blows your mind there's it literally can't be replicated she ended up live live snapping the entire first act like she turned on she turned on the screen on her phone really really low and she was very, very careful about how she did it. And like the Met goer in me is like, can somebody come over here and like take her phone away? I know, but you were like... And the other half of me is like, this is exactly what the opera industry needs. This mm -hmm. right here, because this is everything, everything. And that kind of reaction is, is why I'm obsessed with opera.
because there are still times where I go to a show and I have that moment. You know, it's maybe once or twice a season. It's why I go see as much as I possibly can, because when that happens, there's nothing like it. You know, I remember Adriana Lecoffer and the Dintrebko that we all fell in love with in the beginning, that voice showed up. And my friend that I was with it at the same time turned and looked at each other and in full voice in the grand tier, which we shouldn't have done. Literally, like, we're like, oh, my God, that like shivers. I, I have goosebumps thinking about that performance. Mm-hmm. But that whole show from beginning to end, that specific performance was it. And we walked out of the theater that night. It was like this is why I go to the opera. This right here, it's everything. It's characters, it's voices that are dynamic. It's the wall of sound from a symphony. It's the nuance to the fortissimo. It's everything. And it's all put into one specific production. Yeah, Mm. It's not piecemeal. It's everything all at the same time. And that that is my adoration for opera right there. Yeah, I love it. Well, thanks for Ah. coming on. Thanks for sharing all that amazing. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, it's been such a joy. Yeah. Yes. That's it for today. This podcast was created for all the opera singers out there getting shit done. So keep on keeping on, people. If you enjoy our podcast, please rate and review it to help spread the word. You can also support the podcast through Patreon, where you can get early access to episodes, merchandise discounts, workshops and resources, and ad-free episodes. And you did hear that right, people. We now have merch. Find out more about all of this at mysocalledoperalife.com. Still can't get enough of us and want to add your voice to the conversation? Join us for our weekly coffee chats every Wednesday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern on Instagram Live at MSCOL Podcast. This podcast is produced and hosted by Elise Mark and Marcel McGurk and edited by Joshua Wise. Questions or comments? Email us at info at mysocalledoperalife.com. This season is sponsored by The Empowered Musician. The Empowered Musician, founded by Dr. Dana Lynn Varga, helps musicians to forge their own path with pride. Dana is a fierce advocate for singers and a leader in moving the classical vocal industry forward. Through the EM website, you can read Dana's articles, schedule one-on-one career coachings, book Dana for a speaking engagement, or sign up for her upcoming affordable six-class series called Everything You Need to Know About Entrepreneurship for Singers, which starts on April 10th. The Empowered Musician also has incredible artists on staff, offering voice lessons, musicianship lessons, and both dramatic coachings and repertoire diversification sessions for singers. Voice lessons are available for a wide range of ages, levels, and genres, and their highly sought-after teachers are accessible from anywhere in the world through virtual lessons, as well as eventually in-person in multiple cities. Keep an eye out for additional professional development courses, such as acting for singers, body mapping for musicians, intro to jazz singing, and more. Be sure to check out www.theempoweredmusician.com.